Welcome to the Legendarium. But he had to clean it, all of it. it. By the way, like, the listeners don't know this, but it doesn't help when you have the hand <laughs> motion when you, going. When you shove your fist and forearm through your hand. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. This is episode number 140, I want to say. It is Wheel of Time, Book 9, Winter's Heart. Finally, we had two episodes between this and our last Wheel of Time book, and so I'm excited to be back into Wheel of Time. I hope everybody else is as well. I am Craig Hanks, your host, and over there, he's so boring. He founded the Beige Aja. It's Ryan Bruckman. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a good color. I'd go with that. <laughs> and he's so dumb, he lost the game of houses to Elida. It's Kyle Lemon. Oh, man, that that's rough. That's... <laughs> <laughs> and he's so ugly. When women see him, they spontaneously rediscover the lost art of traveling. It's Ken Johnson. Man, I like it when other people make your insults for you. I know. This is fun. I uh, I think I'll just post that every once in a while on Reddit. See, but the problem with that one is that then he gets to do it in an igloo. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> to be in. Jeez. <laughs> oh, That's right. So welcome, With everybody. as many girls as I want to, apparently. Uh, so I want to mention a few <laughs> things and something new in our housekeeping segment. I always mention a couple of things. But first of all, uh, we it's been a little while forgive us listeners for we have sinned it has been X number of months since our last giveaway we haven't done a giveaway in a while and I thought it is time to do another one so I wanted to do something a little bit different whoever wins this giveaway and there's a single item uh, but I, I think it's going to be a good one but whoever wins this will get a hardcover copy of the crossroads of twilight the Legendarium Edition. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this one because the Legendarium Edition means not only are we going to inscribe it and say hello in the front of the book, but we will also take all of our notes from our Kindle editions, our disparate Kindle editions, and we will write those marginal notes in the margins of this hardcover copy of Crossroads of Twilight. And so you'll have all these marginal notes from us either making fun of what is widely considered to be the worst book in the series or making note of things that we liked or, you know, whatever the case may be. I suspect that we'll tear this one apart and be kind of snarky and um, awful as we usually are. Hopefully it'll be at least somewhat amusing. That doesn't sound like us at all. <laughs> the book's so bad, it's the actually the fifth book in the Twilight series. It's got Twilight right in the title. So. <laughs> nice. Um, You're Team Eggwayne. Anyway, so I don't know. Like I, I have never, I have never read Crosswords of Twilight. At least Crosswords of Twilight. Crosswords <laughs> of Twilight. I've never actually read the book, and so I don't. I can't speak to what everybody says, but that's as I understand it. It's considered the worst book in the series and so i figured that would be a good candidate for us to kind of uh deface basically so uh, if you would like that then stay tuned i will let you in on the rules of that uh that giveaway when we get to crossroads of twilight so i will craft that and uh and we'll start that in two watt episodes but anyway just know that that's coming up and uh, as always, please support the show at patreon.com slash legendarium. 
and join the conversation at reddit.com slash r slash the legendarium or what was the easy way the legendarium.reddit.com uh either way now reddit is where a lot of our discussion points i think are going to come from because we got some pretty great feedback from everybody i put out the call yesterday for questions and comments on book nine winter's heart and uh and people responded pretty well so thank you very much everybody for doing that and i will get to those questions here momentarily so let's get started with a little synopsis and then dive right in winter's heart opens on some tarvalin stuff in which for the second time in the series a dark friend forswears the dark and again serves the light then it's driven home again that although elida may not be a dark friend herself she's so stupid she might as well be one <laughs> Well, after that, we move on to some truly pointless chapters about Fael and Morghese as prisoners above the Shy or among the Shido. And I guess pointless might be wrong. I don't know yet, but I'll at least go with out of place because after a few chapters of them and of Perrin thinking about but not trying to rescue them, we leave them behind for the rest of the book. And we may now put them out of our minds for the rest of this discussion. I think you now know why Crossroads of Twilight is so bad. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's like they did that with the entire series in one book. <laughs> As for the rest of our characters, here's the quick overview. Elaine is consolidating power in Camelin and gets bonded as a first sister to Avienda. The two of them and Min bond Rand as a warder and take turns sleeping with him. Matt finally escapes the rapey clutches of Queen Tylan and immediately discovers that the daughter of the Nine Moons, whom he is fated to marry, is a young Shanchan noblewoman to whom he is not terribly attracted-ish. Uh, a bunch of... Because Matt's attracted to pretty much everybody who is a woman. Uh, a bunch of people end up in Far Matting, where a Tarangreal keeps the power from being used throughout the city, so there are a few really nice scenes of fisticuffs there. But all this is really just filler until the final chapters when Rand and Nynaeve head to Shadar Logoth and use the Choidong Call, those giant, most powerful ever Sa'angriel statue things, to cleanse the taint from Sidene. We finally got through, you guys. Hey, <laughs> what does it take? How do you cleanse the taint? We just found out. Uh, whilst the supporting cast led by Cadswain keeps them safe from several Forsaken who are intent on stopping that cleansing. They fail, the Forsaken fail, and Rand succeeds, destroying Shadar Logoth in the process. It's a terribly exciting chapter at the end of a pretty boring book. But it's odd how something so boring can keep me so engaged. Let's discuss. Now, actually, the first thing I want to bring up is something you brought up, Ryan, not it was off the air. It was in our little Facebook chat that we all have as we are reading these books. And you brought up maybe the most perfect analogy of all time. Do you remember it? For this book? For Well, for... I'm going with the series as a whole. I love this analogy. Oh. You said that book 10 is the Nebraska of... Oh, right. <laughs> now, now because... I, I told them to prepare to drive through the Nebraska of the Wheel of Time series. <laughs> now, hey, our U.S. listeners will understand that probably, but uh, if you're not from the U.S., Nebraska is in the middle of the country, and it is flat and bare. There is nothing in Nebraska except sometimes some corn. That's it. Um, and so, anyway, it's always kind of a joke when people make a big coast-to-coast -coast drive that you always dread getting to Nebraska because there's nothing to see. And I thought this was actually really brilliant. And uh, 
and I thought um, maybe this could be used as an analogy for the entire series uh, because we leave, let's say you leave the East Coast, you leave New York City or Washington, D.C. or whatever, and that's like your book one. And there's really exciting stuff that happens. You're interested in what's going on. You keep seeing different cities as you drive west. And, you know, then you get to the Midwest and things get a little bit sparser. This is your books, you know, five and six and seven maybe. And then you get to Nebraska and then you get to Wyoming and your soul starts to die. <laughs> you haven't seen anything in 500 miles. Not even, you, you can't, you, it's, uh, there was a, there was a, a comedian that I liked who, who described driving across the middle of the country. And he's like, it's like God took a belt sander to the middle of America and then didn't even bother to clean up the dust. <laughs> Pretty much it. Um, anyway. Would you call this book then The Winter's Heartland? Nice. No, I would not. Uh, but then, so, the, but the analogy works because, and I, I haven't gotten there, so I can't speak to this necessarily, but as I understand it, once you get past oh, books it's... 8, 9, and 10, or, and maybe 11, I don't know, but like the, then you get to the Sanderson stuff. It's like you get to the West Coast. It's really interesting. It's very pretty. It's get, uh, exciting. It, you whatever. get to the Rockies. Right. You get to Disneyland. Oh, exactly. But people die. <laughs> uh, anyway, I love that analogy so much. So thank you for bringing it into my life. You're welcome. I'm happy to do it. And if you have a feeling, if you're really feeling like, you know, you've been offended by this, just reverse it. You know, if you're an East Coaster and you, you want to do that, just reverse it. It works too. Nebraska's exactly. in the middle. <laughs> Either way. And if, and if you live in Nebraska or Wyoming. Too bad. You should move. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know. My brother lives out in the middle of, uh, of Iowa, I think. Indiana. Have you he heard from in, him recently? Yeah, right. <laughs> if he you, lives if out you... in the middle of Indiana and, uh, and it just seems very idyllic. So, if, I don't know. If you live in Nebraska or Kansas or Wyoming, we are sorry that you live in Nebraska or Kansas or no, Wyoming. No, I'm not. I'm not. No, I'm, actually, I love I like Kansas. Love it. Uh, but anyway, good analogy. Let's move on. I The only other thing I wanted to mention with that, I guess, was my thought was maybe in some future episodes we could play some, uh, we, we could play road trip games like I Spy with, <laughs> with Wheel of Time. Like, I spy something bitchy. It's Cat Swing! <laughs> the alphabet game. There you go. There you go. Anyway, so we'll we'll consider that for later episodes. Here's some road trip stuff. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk about what you guys want to talk about. Uh, Ken, start with you, because I want to hear something original out of you. Oh, crap. No. I, uh, I, I, this is a small point, but it's the one that kind of uh, got me... Uh, right at the very first is uh, I, I love all of the early in the book legacy stuff that Rand is kind of building with the universities and with the uh, I want to leave something after I'm gone type stuff and, and we don't deal with that but a couple of chapters and then it's gone and we're back off to you know cleansing the taint and preparing for Tarman Gaiden and you know but I and I wanted more of that I wanted more of the what's going on at the universities and they're talking about the the um, catapults and the what he can harness lightning in a globe and he know, makes stuff. he somebody makes a car yeah and somebody somebody like, makes a, a steam car so and i thought this i wanted more of this because it's always been one of my favorite uh my my favorite topics in science fiction and fantasy is technology versus magic where it's magic it doesn't have to be explained well technology was just magic before it was technology you know and right isn't that clark's law yeah so I, I, I love all of that. There's, there was my original thought. 
there's another piece to that because I actually have that same area marked, um, but it's a different portion of it. Um, Luce Theron's response because Rand says he wanted to build something that he that could last, and Luce Theron said, "I thought I could build. I was wrong. We are we are <clears throat> we are not builders, not you or I or the other one. We are destroyers." Who's the other one? Destroyer. Yeah, and that those are two points right there. One. Yeah is right now the reinforcement of the idea that Rand and Lucerne, like, we are here as a tool to destroy. We're breaking the bonds of everything we're doing. And I am worried, like, I, I worry about this savior figure being a destroyer. Like, that seems contrary to what he should be. Like, according to the eternal laws of literature or just yeah. in this world? Well, both. I mean, according to the eternal laws of literature... Um, very rarely is is the great destroyer your your hero. There's usually some creative element to it. Um, but even inside this world, uh, you already have such strong entropy being put out by the Dark One. The his bubbles of evil, the the way that the well, world is being one powerful taint. Yes, not yes. for long. Um, the fact that you've already got that to have another destroying force out there would seem to be working in his favor and that's you got to counter it you got to yeah. counter it and i like that needs to change sooner rather than later otherwise i think that we're just going to run it it's it's going to be a really weird meetup otherwise right so. loose there and brings it up later in the book too when he middle of the book he says how many will the three will we three kill before the end i wonder it's like Oh, there's some... Yeah, do we have any indication of who that third is? I mean, at is this it the point? is it the chosen one? Is it Pot no? Of I already, Bane? Is yeah, it... I was gonna say. I I think I said last time when we talked about he's been scratched by the dagger, and Shadow Logoth's evil being different than oh right right. Like, so so Luz Theron is feeling that influence of yeah. Of Rand is currently Fane, basically yeah. I think he's got Luz Theron <laughs> there, and he's got Pot on Fane or the evil of Shadar Logoth inside of him. What's and, Mash Mashadar? Is that what it's called? Is that yeah? It sounds about right. That he's yeah. that he's afflicted by. That's yeah. I think that the. I mean, those are the the heavy influences inside his body. Other than so, you got Rand, Luce there, and, and Mashadar or whatever. Yeah. So. Uh, anyway, that was a smaller thing, but that was. And right. I I wondered what my first inclination. I think that sounds more plausible. But I was thinking, you know, who we haven't heard from in a while is Ishamael. Um, yeah, he it, wasn't in this book at all. So I, I don't know how he fits exactly and how he would fit with what Luz Theron says about the three of us, but uh, but he does seem like the the foil, certainly in the first three books. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, uh, what's his name? Padam Fain seems just more like a force of chaos, whereas uh, Ishamael is a more directed, sinister evil. I think that's well, really it. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, well, we could also tie in, and this is making an assumption that Ishmael is the guy from Shadar Logoth when he fought Samael. Moradin. Moradin? That's, yeah, that's. I think that's who he is. Well, it's it's assuming that, because they had the whole Balefire crossing incident that we had to talk about. Right. Like, crossing the streams. Crossing the streams. I mean, potentially, and I talked about how that could have done something. Maybe that somehow linked the thread of one to the other, and so it could be that third... He, you know that that guy right there, that Balefire incident, could be the third guy. I just think Pot on Fane is the 
more obvious one with his dagger and that being a different evil than because mm-hmm. Ishmael would be the same evil as the dark one sort of yeah they would yeah. recognize each other I would think you know in the little festering wound in his side but Pot well, on Fane's a different evil well, that's my and thought. Pot on Fane is, is proven to be a thorn in the side that's a pun intended of not both. a very good one well, well you know but he, he's a, he is a thorn in the side of both sides he's I mean the, the chosen hate him or the, the forsaken hate him and yeah we know where Ken's loyalties lie now <laughs> yeah that's right that's right. Uh, I no. I'm enjoying watching Kyle's face as he struggles not to ruin everything for us. Yeah, I'll stay out of this one. <laughs> um, I, I enjoy hearing everybody's opinions and thoughts, though. It's, it's so great to watch people so, be wrong and not know. This, it. <laughs> this is the this was the joy of when we made Ken and Todd read Mistborn mm-hmm. and just say, "Hey guys, what do you think's gonna happen next?" Wait <laughs> <until> <laughs> suckers yeah. wait until book yeah 14. so anybody out there listening oh, trying to that's want wanting to reach through their you know car radio speakers or whatever just know we're, we're just letting this yep letting it unfold let us be wrong yeah let let me be me uh and i am often wrong so okay what else we got ryan what do you want to talk about this one won't merit much discussion but Let's talk for a moment about Robert Jordan's gift for world building and how incredible he is at giving us depth and we know what things look like and the different uh, ways that the communities interact and, you know, and the Kyrians and the everything there. He goes so far, in fact, in world building to let us know that Elaine and Birgitta's cycles have synced up. Oh, oh my yeah. good lord. Oh, I marked that too. I... That was a little weird. Their courses. <laughs> I marked it and, and just, I, I had to stop for a second and go, huh. You know, you know, all the time people will joke about how in movies, like, oh, we never see him go to the bathroom or whatever. Like Robert Jordan is saying, all right, this is, you're asking for it. I'm going to give it to yeah. you. <laughs> Everything you want to know. They're going to the privy. They're just, all right. And I was like, okay, that, that was, that was surprising to come across in a fantasy novel because it's not a common thing to, <laughs> to deal with. But, I will take a, a little more high road approach here and say it is interesting to see how the bond is different between those two than it is through the, any other Ward or Aes Sedai connection. And the fact that the, both being women does have an effect on them, it makes me think that the that there might be a, a physical connection, like a physical uh, effect of, of the bond that we don't see normally other, because usually the Warders, they get the enhanced strength, you know, they're plus two Aes <laughs> Sedai bond of strength or whatever it is. Um, they get those, but they don't, like, there's no, there doesn't seem to be a, 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 a reciprocal effect or, on, on the Aes Sedai. Yeah, a mirroring effect. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so I, it's interesting to, to just wonder if that's just because of the gender. It's also interesting that uh, the the... The water bond rules that we know up to this point, you don't ever really see them in anybody but Lan. Uh, right. you know, as far as uh, the thing I'm thinking of right now is he, uh, Robert Jordan makes a big deal out of talking about the uh, level of compulsion inherent in the water bond, where the Aes Sedai can, to some extent, compel the water to do something. Uh, just by the force of the Aes Sedai's will. And so we see that once with Lan, when he's brought back to whoever... Who has Lan's bond? Uh, Morella. Morella. Morella has Lan's bond, I think. 
Uh, so she basically like calls Len to her and he has no choice but to come and blah, blah, blah. Um, and then there's no, when, when Alana bonds Rand, she doesn't get that. She's not able to do that. And then Elaine bonds Brigitte. She's not able to do that. It's kind of interesting how sometimes he'll set that up. And I, I feel like this happened, has happened with some other things in the story, but I can't name them off the top of my head. But in this case, certainly he sets something up and says, here is the rule, and then immediately breaks it. You know mm-hmm. what? And well, then, I mean, he like, explains it away with Rand, though, because, like, it, they talk about how Alana tried to compel him, mm-hmm. and basically he's this... He's this fortune, huge, force of yeah, nature. force of nature. Yeah. That she said, when you're trying to do it, it's like trying to uproot an oak tree. You know? Right. So, like... And that can be explained away with Taviran or with the fact that he's the Dragon Reborn, or we've never seen an Aes Sedai bond a male channeler before before that instance. Right. Um, with Brigida, I don't know. I don't know if it's the if it's because it's a female female bond, or if it's because Brigida's soul is tied to the horn and to the pattern in a certain way, similar to Rand's. But she's um, losing that. But she's still. You know, she's a very odd yeah. piece too, just Alana. because she's not the. In her story, if you take it from the look of like the whole weave of the wheel of time, there's all of a sudden a new thread that wasn't supposed to be there that it's now trying to fit into things. So mm-hmm. she's kind of an anomaly, and and it's, the things that are happening around her might be the pattern just going. I'm not sure how to make yeah. you work. She also it's, has some really interesting scenes, or at least one, I guess, one interesting scene in formatting when she comes into Rand's room and it, and he kind of feels her through the water bond. Alana, you mean? Alana. Yeah. And he's able to sense that she's at once super pissed at him and also incredibly happy mm-hmm. to be with him again. Um, and I don't know. There, it's just, it feels a little bit more like we're getting a little more of a peek into Alana's soul than we mm-hmm. have ever gotten before. And I wasn't, I wasn't looking for it. I didn't, I didn't care about Alana, but that kind of mm. made me care a little bit. Yeah, that's because Alana is everything that is wrong with the Aes Sedai. Really? I think she's really? every single thing that's wrong. With I think there are bigger I, icons by Alana, for that. Alana, you mean the Dwayne. biggest wrong? But no, I, you just I, I hate Alana. I hate Alana so much. <laughs> I'm waiting for the payoff on that one. Uh, that's one of those things that he set up so early in the series. That I'm still, and I have still yet to see there be a large enough payoff for, as, Al- for, for Alana. Alana for or the that bond. I mean, something like if you go back to like Dumai's Wells, like that could have been a big payoff for Alana to be like, he's in trouble. I know where he is, so they use her to mm-hmm. Scooby Doo their way over to him and <laughs> and figure and to save him or something like that. That would have been a payoff, and I've been like, okay, that's that's great, but that's not the case. There has been nothing about their bond that has been utilized yet. <laughs> What's that, Lassie? Rands and Dumai's Wells. <laughs> Jeez. That was you very were, disturbing. <laughs> you did last to become a dolphin. Flipper, <laughs> come on, Flipper. Same thing. Flipper and Alana. You were you were uh, asking about another example of of that compulsion thing, and I really in this in this book it felt very much for the first time. It, it's a crude analogy, but it. it to me felt very much like the Aes Sedai water bond is a lot like the Shan Chan Damani Soldam mm-hmm. 
connection. It's got echoes of that. Very mm-hmm. much so. That they, they treat this is the first book where you really see that the Aes Sedai treat warders like indentured servants rather than protectors and right. teammates Some of them, and all. And, yeah. and they yeah. treat I Oh, they irritated me so much with all of their little, you're my warder, you have to do what I say, blah, 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 which they didn't say in so many words, but they might as well have when Alana comes in and excoriates Rand for, you know, running out on her. Hello, you, you, you bond raped him. I mean, you, that's the way they treat it in the you, world. Yeah, you expect, you, you expect him to, to be grateful that you're, that you bonded him as war, your warder. I mean, it just. I told you that word today calendar was a good buy for him. He just used excoriate. Nice. I love that word. Nice. I thought it was word of the day toilet paper. Well, no. uh, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> well, and Elaine and Brigida, I mean, they have the same thing happen earlier where she kind of, you know, tut tuts. I'm going to refrain from saying excoriates again because I've used it once. But she, she tut tuts Brigida for not listening to her and for, you know, not being at her beck and call basically and doing everything she says because I'm the Aes Sedai and you're my warder. It just irritated the heck out of me. Okay. It's there's a theme that runs through the series that I think is worth noting and continuing to watch as you go through and that's the power of free will and and when people surrender it, uh when it's taken from them and what they do because the the Sean Chan are a great example of when your free will is taken you deal with the Gwen and and watching the Demani and everything. Uh the warder bond is usually freely given um and seeing how people who give up some of that free will um, anytime that you deal with compulsion um, in the Forsaken or anything like that in the series, uh, it's just interesting to see the different reactions to the value of free will. And then to take it from someone like uh, Rand or Matt yeah. or Perrin who are Taviran and have so much of their destiny being shaped for them, they feel like they're being pulled to things. Uh, whether or not that's... Is your destiny in your hand or are you are you being just driven to this one point and you have no choice? You know, we've talked about that with other series, uh, the Belgariad and other ones where it felt, you know, are we, do we really have a choice in this? So, yeah. Uh, Kyle, I haven't heard from you in too long. Say things. Cool. Um, And that's it. That's it. (laughs) So you mentioned in the intro that, you know, we hear a little bit about Perrin. We get like one or two chapters and then he goes away. Um, But I thought there was a really interesting... um, discussion or not discussion but scene in there with with Perrin and the prophet and Aram especially mm-hmm. um so I'm just going to read a quote really quick but it's about Aram as they come out from talking with with Masima and his whole reaction to that and what Elias comments to Perrin about about Aram and who he is so um bear with me my phone screen is cracked so I'll probably <laughs> Stutter. So you'll probably read it in German. Yes. Um, Aram, bilious green tinker's coat flailing the wind as he handled his reins, the hilt of his sword rising above his shoulder. Aram's face was a map of excitement that made Perrin's heart sink. In Masima, Aram had met a man who had given his life and heart and soul to the Dragon Reborn. In Aram's view, the Dragon Reborn ranked close behind Perrin and Fael. You did the boy no favor, Elias had told Perrin. You helped him let go of what he believed, and now all he has to believe in is you and that sword. It's not enough, not for any man. Elias had known Aram when Aram was still a tinker before he had picked up the sword. Um, so just, I thought it was really really interesting that Robert Jordan is bringing this theme uh, to light. 
of Aram's need for a belief system. He lost his belief system, which was the Tinker's you know, way of the leaf and their whole belief system there. And he's now substituted that as Perrin, basically. Perrin and Fael are his belief system. And and the violence or protection that he can give using his sword. And, and Aram only practices the sword. Like, that's all that he does ever. And then he acts as Perrin or Fael's bodyguard. So I thought it was really interesting that that was kind of tucked in there with Masima and the prophet and just how, you know, what's going on with that mm-hmm. whole story arc there and how dangerous this guy is and can be. Masima, and, you mean? Yes. And that Aram has now almost looked at him as, you know, something that he could believe in as well. Um, or so yeah. maybe something that he can look up to and admire. Like, yeah, this, this guy is the pinnacle of what I have yeah, uh, come to make my life. Yeah, because Masima has put the Dragon Reborn on this pedestal mm-hmm. and has dedicated his entire life and whatever to him. And Perrin is doing a similar thing. Or not Perrin. Aram is doing a similar thing with Perrin. Um, but but does that change? Does he see Masima as... Like, does he now substitute that for Masima? Or does he try to be more like Masima in regards to Perrin and Fail? And we all know that Masima has caused a lot of chaos and problems within Randland. So, what does that mean for Aram? It's uh, it's and the idea of a belief system too. Well, it's a really interesting level three discussion. uh, Something that you can apply to your own life uh, if you if you recognize a bit like that. And I didn't think about it as deeply as you did, but I definitely noticed that passage. Um, But there's this idea of what in what or in whom do you put your trust? And I think it's very, very, this is just my personal opinion, uh, which you get, unfortunately, a lot on this podcast. But uh, my opinion is... You have to be wrong sometime. Well, (laughs) it's really dangerous to put your trust in the way that ARAM does, to put your trust in a person. It's much safer... And I, I think better to put your trust in ideals. The only problem is then, you know, there there is still a tightrope to walk there. Where if you get too zealous about things, you come out the way Masima does, maybe, or whatever. So you, it's not like foolproof. It's not, oh, if you put your trust in ideas instead of people, then you'll be fine. But it is the path that you have to walk if you want to stay you know, uh, decent and sane. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's some definite similarities um, and parallels between the people of the dragon or, you know, the dragons, dragon sworn or the, the followers of Masima, right. the prophet and the white cloaks. Um, they're both very zealous organizations. That's zealous. 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 Yes. That's a word too. <laughs> I don't, Ka- I don't Ka- have the ladies, word of the day toilet paper. Like, ladies and uh, gentlemen, Ken. Kyle is a professional writer. I just want to point a that professional out. speaker. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they they have those uh, those ideals. And like you said, they take them, you know, they don't walk that line, really. They kind of take it how they want to and and are overzealous for, with a lot of things right. um, regarding those ideals. So I think this, this is very interesting. I hadn't really thought of it a whole lot until just now, but I know we've talked about the zealotry of of the white cloaks and Masima and the people there. 
But if you really think about this whole series, like there is not much by way of religion in this world. There's a lot of belief systems. There's belief systems, but not necessarily but not like organized, organized religion with... Uh, well, the white cloaks certainly are. Would you call them a religion? Yeah, absolutely. How so? I, I, how would you not? How would you not classify them as a religion? They're a, certainly a militant one. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I associate them with kind of like the, the Templar group right. or whatever. But the Templars, like, the Templars aren't a religion... They were they're a sect, a, they're within, a sect they were, within that. Well, you no, know, but I mean, do the White Cloaks resemble our our modern conception of what the Templars look like? Sure. Uh, and I, I mean, you know, on a physical basis. But you just look at uh, the way that they talk, the way that they think about the light, in in quotes, I want to say entre guillemets, but I'm not mm -hmm. French. Um the way that they conduct their lives, it very much is a, a an awful, but yes, a religion. I, I can agree with that. If if we're saying that religion is just a system of beliefs, um, which... Well, well, boy, could we get into a, a Pandora's box of trying to define religion here. Yeah. I'm not yeah. sure that we want to do that. But uh, as a whole, there seems to be this accepted overarching religious view of the creator and the dark one. Yeah. Like that's really when it comes to religion, it comes down to the dark one's going to destroy us. We got to get the dragon reborn to the last battle. Uh -huh. The creator is the other side. There's nobody. Are I, you just saying there's nobody going to church every week, like to worship the creator or whatever? We're missing some of like, we're missing some of that, uh, those pieces in here. Um, the closest thing, the problem is that when people start to organize, and I don't know, I don't know Robert Jordan's religious leanings or what his feelings were, but when people in in this world organize with a singular focus on one of those religious elements, mm -hmm. you end up with the Masima and the and the yeah. Dragon Sworn. You end up with the White Cloaks, or you end up with like the Black Aja. Dark or friends, like, yeah. Like there are extremes. As soon as that focus is put on there, everyone else is kind of like this middle ground here. So is what you're saying that, okay, so we don't know, I mean, somebody does, but w in this room, we don't know what Robert Jordan's religious feelings were. But if we were to glean from the info we have from these books, we would say that he regarded spirituality as an important part of life. But as soon as you started to organize that religion, you immediately uh, got zealot zealots in your midst I, I would argue that probably the closest thing to religion as as we're discussing it is probably the dark friends themselves um, because they are the ones that we see worshiping worshiping and praying to the dark one essentially making when deals with the devil. yeah when there are when there are you know problems that they have or things that they want or whatever um, because we don't see necessarily like I guess a light cider somebody that worships the light or walks in the light you don't necessarily see them any kind of like prayer or religious ritual or anything like that. But we do see some of that on, on um, the dark half of that. Cause there's that whole prologue in the great hunt where they have that like meeting the council with all the, you mm -hmm. know, with all yeah. of that. And that's very ritualistic and, and very similar to a lot of religious types of mm -hmm. ordinances and things. And we do see the forsaken, you know, crawling on hands and knees and and bending in, in down the, and worshiping temple. and worshiping yeah um, so that's probably the closest thing that i would say that's a good point but yeah 
Yeah. Maybe I'm just, maybe it was just a matter of where we don't see any of the like first church of the creator of the Latter-day Saints type thing going on. Like there's nobody. <laughs> well, he is called the prophet. So yeah, it's true. <laughs> there you go. It's true. Uh, okay. Well, I don't know where to go from there. So maybe we just move on to a different subject unless you had more you wanted to say about religion in Randland. Um, I have a note and I'm trying to remember that it sparked in my head, but I'm not sure if it's directly connected or not. Um, well, after this, I want to get, I want to get to some Reddit questions. Uh, we can go to Reddit questions. It's fine. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, actually maybe I'll start with, so this is okay. Wipe religion from your minds, ladies and gentlemen, because we're <laughs> switching tracks here. Craig is being the news media now. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) The damn liberal media elite. Wiping religion from your mind. That's right. Uh, Okay, so... uh, Oh, yeah, I I might as well start with the question that came from Reddit user Gabim. I don't know exactly how to say that, but uh, it was Cheers from Norway came at the end of this. So this one comes from Norway. And I wanted to start with this one because this Reddit user reminded me that I actually needed to ask people for their thoughts. Sometimes I forget until it's too late. So thank you very, very much. But uh, this question was, after having read book nine, which Forsaken are your favorites? Who do you think will go next? And who do you think will be there until the bitter end? It's uh, a good question. I don't have a ton of opinion on the Forsaken. They're mostly plot points for me they're very mustache twirlingly bad (laughs) you know what i mean they they're all snidely whiplash they're all kind of written that way that just like oh i am a bad guy i can't team up with any of you and all of my interests must be selfish and self-serving i think they're more interesting than (laughs) that uh, I, I don't know that I'd go that far, but I see what you're saying. Felt a, felt a lot like that, but uh, for all of them, I think Grandal will be there until the end. No, she, no, no, nope. I think I don't. Know, she feels she she feels very much like she's set up to. Is she the one who just kind of sat back and watched everybody else kill themselves so she could live to fight another day or live to flee another day? Or they all have they all kind some of degree have a of that, bit of but that. But I, yeah, she's. One of them was very specifically, oh, I'm going to uh, step yeah, in. No, I'm not. I'm going to step in. That. It was Mogidian that did it. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I could see her being there till the end. Uh, obviously, Oceangar's not going to be there till the very end. So, yeah, peace out, dude. Yeah, no, Oceangar was uh, was posing as... He was posing as Deshiva. Which, who called it? Which I didn't say it to anybody, so it doesn't really matter. But. No, yeah, I think you mentioned it on the podcast. I remember you saying that. Yeah, find me the audio clip. Then yeah, I'll, I'll look it up. I'm going to defend Ken's honor this Pro- one time. Prove to me that Ken is smart. <laughs> I didn't say he was smart. I said that he said it. No, I just kidding, Ken. Blind squirrel and acorn, ladies and gentlemen. Um, okay, so favorite Forsaken. I think Moradin's there till the very end, and he might be my favorite Forsaken. Well, Moradin has to be there at the end. Yeah, that's you what? introduced him in book. Oh yeah, six or something like that. His name also means death. So yeah, Yeah. I mean they they introduced him back into the into the pattern specifically to be there until the very end. But I mean, it it feels like kind of a cop out to say that he's my favorite. But I like. Did we decide if Moradin is Ishmael? I've decided it. That's all that matters to me. Okay, because if I were to like, if we go back to our original thirteen for a second, thirteen, right? Mm -hmm. Uh Um, Then the two that I think have to be there at the last battle would be Ishamael and uh starts with an L. Uh Lanfear. Yeah. Yep. Who I think is Sindane, right? She's got to be Sindane. Um I don't know. Maybe. I'm I'm trying I'm starting to piece through who's who. 
a little bit now. Anyway, but uh, as far as who my favorite is, I still, I, I think I would probably say Lanfear, even though we haven't seen her since book five. Five? Yeah. Or five. four? Five. five. Um, even though we haven't seen her since book five. You just like her because she's hot. That's correct. Okay. <laughs> that is 100% accurate. <laughs> All right. No, so I, if you have uh, to go Lanfear or Grendel, which way? <laughs> no, I, I think I like Lanfear because she had the most interesting conflict going on where she was a dark friend, but it, it seemed like her first allegiance was to Luz Theron. She loved Luz Theron and she happened to be a dark friend. And so anyway, th- so there were some pretty interesting conflicts going on in those early books. And so she was my favorite to read and now she's gone. She's the Darth Vader of the Forsaken. Dedicated right. to the dark uh, side, but I there's there's enough the good, good in, in her to enough love and, there. Uh, Demon Dread shows up again. He's been kind of in behind the scenes for a long long time, but he shows yeah. up during the whole cleansing of ty- of Sidene right. thing. How many does, kind of a, how many forsaken do we lose in this battle? Is it just Ocean Guard goes down? Ocean Guard. And I think that's. I think I thought there was one more. Maybe there's one more. doesn't know that. Because she mentions at the end of the book, she says, oh, what a high price to pay. I lost two people to scratch up a few Forsaken. Mm-hmm. And that was yeah. it. So she doesn't know. I don't think, it, well, I don't think anybody really realizes that that, that was Ocean that's, a, that's a Forsaken. Well, I, I, even. Think, right. I think they thought it was Deshiva. Yeah. Well, yeah, good point. Yeah. So they, I, they It's interesting, Deshiva's too, because a dark but... friend kills him. It's a uh, El- Elsa, Elsa. Oh, that's right. And she's yeah. like, "Oh, the Dark Lord w- might not forgive me if I had to kill a Forsaken, but that's just Corlan Dashiva, and I'll kill that dude. Right. Cool." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm. I knew I'm, Elsa was a dark friend. Screw Frozen Man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of torn because I actually I've really taken a little bit of time in the last little while to get to know some of the Forsaken more because I really actually like their characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and Part of me, and I want to make sure that I'm right on this, um, I think it's Ishmael who was with Luz Theron in the prologue. Yes, mm-hmm. it yep. was. That connection, I think, I really like him because of that connection to Luz Theron and Rand. That, that's the another reason why, like, if we're connected to Moradin, that's, he has to be there at the end because that's got to be the... Because sem- that's where it started. Yeah. The symmetry. The penultimate battle. Um will be between those two. Or they'll team up all of a sudden for some strange reason or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Buddy cop best movie. Friends. Um, so it's there. I actually really liked Asmodian. Um, we kind really? of forget about him just because Rand captures him. and Because we get to spend so much time with him. Yeah, he's yeah. one of the few you get a little more time with there. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not like Mogidian um, or Semarag. Oh, um, I forget about Simarog. Not I, really a fan of either of those Simura, two. What is Simarog's defining characteristic? Was she the tortury one? Yep, cruelty. Okay. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's it. And I don't remember much about Demon Dread off the top of my head. Yeah, he's kind of been behind the scenes for a long time. And he's he's kind of a wild card, man. Nobody knows what's going on with him. Like, not even the Forsaken or anybody else. It's mm-hmm. like, what, what's this dude doing? So, I would I would pin if I had to... We did think go that Taim was... Remember, we thought that Taim was Demon Dread for a while. Uh, that's yeah. true. I he, still think he's. Uh, I hate. Did, and Taim didn't show up during this whole deal, right? No, he uh, only showed up in uh, farm adding, and yeah, then he but was he gone didn't again. Show up during the cleansing, right? No, no, no. Hmm. <laughs> I, I still think he's okay. going to be a problem. Let me just uh, take a break here and say, how freaking confusing are these books? Oh my gosh! <laughs> 
this is why Kyle has been warning us ever since book one, like, yeah, you're going to enjoy this and you'll enjoy it even more the eighth time through. Like, it's going to, you got to take them slow, man. You can't take them at 1.75 the audio speed. I know. Take them slow. I was, I was, I was rushing a little bit at the end of this book, I'll be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Which actually leads me to my, it leads me to my next, um, uh, my next Reddit question from user Kiptan uh, something. Uh, now it's a funnily worded question and so I really liked it a lot because you know me I'm a sucker for George O'Keefe George O'Keefe but he asks on a scale of one to George O'Keefe how vaginal did you imagine the flower like sidar conduit Rand makes from the Choidung call Um, and how much do those saw all make you laugh now this is this is maybe what I know (laughs) I'm a little bit maybe a victim of having listened too fast on audible um the last couple days on you know on my commute but i have no idea what he's talking about you know i listened to it at straight speed and i didn't catch that at all so i i give <laughs> i don't know I, if i, I want to visualize this for you but i think i understand what he's saying in that but the way I, that rand actually cleanses the taint yes or from sidine as he takes sidar and he creates this conduit, and it's mm-hmm. described as in kind of the shape of a flower. Oh, okay. He takes this conduit, and he basically takes the whole of Sidar to create that. And then he takes tainted Sidine and pushes it through the conduit. Yes. To basically... Thrusts it in. Yeah, squeeze out the taint. <laughs> oh, mama. That's how I'm pretty sure on Urban Dictionary, this is, there's and, something uh, that lets you know what that is. By the is. time it gets That's through called. the conduit... There is no taint. <laughs> oh my good lord! Wow. <laughs> Honestly, I envisioned it like a river, and I'm gonna, gonna just gonna stay with that. Well, <laughs> I had an even less uh, impressive <laughs> visualization. I just had this like water slide visual, like yeah. <laughs> she creates this funnel and just kind of pushed everything through, and just this yeah, last little, that's... you know, sidine. I'm sorry. What was that sound effect? Oh. <laughs> 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 So you want to know what a drop in taint sounds like? We finally got the answer to how do you cleanse the taint, and the answer is a Turangriol Kleenex, (laughs) more of a wet wipe, really. (laughs) A Turangriol medicated pen, but that's (laughs) that's how it goes. Yeah, so it's yeah, it's pretty interesting, and and uh, if you are looking for it, there's quite the visual there. I'm really surprised. That I, I really could have expected that from Craig, who I don't even remember what the name you gave for Tarvalin was. Oh, but. yes, the Vagina Island School of Witchcraft and definitely not wizardry. <laughs> that's right, I forgot. <laughs> oh, good a, job by Kipden, by the way. That's yes. a good one. Yeah, that was a good question. I do really, I mean, I'm sure we'll spend some more time on that se- on that scene and sequence, but uh, the fact that Rand is able to utilize both sides of the one power is kind of a big deal. That's... It's it's pretty cool when he's describing I, it too the the way that Robert Jordan describes it he like initially dips into Sidar to take control and he's trying to use it the same way as Sidine and he mm-hmm. re- quickly realizes that he can't do that um he he describes like I've barely touched this thing and now I feel like I'm drowning and overwhelming in it he has to surrender to Sidar which we know that Rand is not good at that because mm-hmm. he's he's know, Rand yeah he's Rand. And it's very counter to the way that he has to struggle and fight against Sidine. But he has to surrender on one side and fight on the other side. And so trying to do that simultaneously is just 
you know, you can't even really imagine how that, how that goes. And the way that he describes it is, is really cool. Cause he starts talking about how these two, you know, sources of power are the driving force that turns the wheel of time. And the visual way that he describes that is Sidar is going one way and Sidine's going the other way. And that's what turns the wheel. And if you imagine that the wheel is, you know, spinning because one's pushing atop it and one's pushing on the bottom going the other way. I just thought it was really cool visual. Hmm. Um, that was yeah. visual description there. I, yeah. I have to admit when I, when we got to chapter 35 and I'm like, there's no way that we can wrap this up adequately in one chapter. No, I was wrong. That it, what a, brilliant chapter it was I, I thought it was really good i did think that it ended too abruptly i did too. and this is where we get into what kyle was talking about where he is writing two books at a time yeah he's, he's writing a giant book and then splitting it kind of arbitrarily like yeah this yeah. was it was a reasonable place to end it but it was obviously not written as a as a contained narrative as, yeah. a, as an actual ending to the book but yes it was a very exciting and interesting it, place to yeah. end the book was, and what it does it chapter. and what does it allow him to do which he has done twice now already in the series sell more books well <laughs> you take a character and you put him in a little mini coma for a couple days and what do you get to do in the next book oh, yeah. oh, ignore them oh, so yeah. what has happened rand and nynaeve oh. are unconscious at the end of this you can ignore them in the next book i right am not looking forward to book 10 you guys i'm not I, uh that's fine i'll read it because we've got it's a, worth it yeah that's fine yeah. that's fine uh okay so we've but, got a few more minutes on this episode that I've same got a, user had a couple more questions uh, yeah i was gonna say that. his next i'm question. getting there yeah. given cool. given that the choidon call have actually been used for a purpose now what do you think the likelihood of them ever being used again is or will Rand stash them somewhere and never use their god-level power to solve another problem? Well, the female access key is destroyed, yes? That's, yes. Right. That's why I say that. I don't think the female now, one's going to be used again. But the Well, but the male one is still intact. However, these being Sa'angriel, I assume that Nynaeve or whoever could just, like, go to Tremalking, slip their shoes off, and stand on top of the female one and use it no because these are these are specifically designed as access keys if you don't have the access key you can't do that that's why none of the forsaken would be able to access those statues um oh, okay. without having the access key Could, that's why land fear you know land fear when when she originally knew that rand had them or suspected that rand had them when he got them in book four or five whenever he picked them up from uh-huh. from yeah, fires Ru- of heaven Rodian, um she needed him to like give give her those keys and if he doesn't if she doesn't have them she couldn't just go to the island and be uh, like okay all right i'm gonna do this anyways because i'm land fear and i can do it you know okay i was wrong could there I be would... other access keys that's that's the question right there because the the, the idea of there being access keys mm-hmm. plural yeah more than just the two there i i imagine there could be other ones out there um i would hope that we do not discover them yeah that's too easy I, it's it, that's what I feel like too. Yeah, we this I, I think that this power having the this greatest ability, this greatest god power here, um, that's too much to give any character. Uh, you better have a really good reason for him to have access to it because otherwise, it's like it's like playing a video game and spending hours and hours leveling up your guy. You get to the final boss and. All of a sudden, you're too powerful, and there's no more enjoyment in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he walked up to the Dark One and it was just like all the power and Kalendor and everything and blah, and Dark One just splats like that, not. 
Well, that's why I think I think that this whole ending to the book works really well for the overall narrative because they did have to use these these incredibly power powerful Sangreal, and the female half is now destroyed. So now, even if he can use the male half of that key or that that power, he's still only half as strong as he could have been. Mm-hmm. So he's already crippled his his ultimate hero for the final battle because there is no more female access. So it makes me wonder and maybe this was very clearly explained and I missed it, but I'm wondering if the Chodon call and this Sa'angrial is the only one that gives them access to all of the power. Like, it, it, the other ones increase your ability, your capacity to manage mm-hmm. it, but we talk about how he shoved Sidene through the Sidar flower, and um, <laughs> it's so hard to say anything like that and not and have everyone else in the room just giggle. <laughs> <laughs> but you did it. But he had to clean it, all of it, it. By the way, like, the listeners don't know this, but it doesn't help when you have the hand <laughs> motion when you, going. When you shove your fist and forearm through your hand. <laughs> yeah, so that there, is there true. are, there that is are true. ways to avoid it. Yeah, that is true. I'll have to hold my hands in the back. But I, I'm wondering if that's if that allowed them access to the entirety of the one power, like all of the source versus just a portion of it or increasing their capacity. One, I don't know. One thing that I really like about that too is that Rand now has done something that Luz Theron deemed impossible. Yeah, um, cleansing the taint. Yeah, mean? which is really yeah. cool because we've seen that with other characters before, where all the Aes Sedai tell Nynaeve it's impossible to do this thing, or tell Elaine that's not possible. You know what I mean? But now we've actually seen Rand. I mean, he does amazing things throughout mm-hmm. the whole series, but he's done something now that even Luz Theron himself was like. Well, no, you can't do that. And yeah, can't touch that. Yeah. For for a people who knows about an age of legends when so much more was done, to say that things are impossible when you're not back to that level is Seems really re- yeah, it's really yeah. stupid. Yeah, it's very But even even like the Forsa- a lot of the Forsaken will say things like the idea that Nynaeve was able to heal Stilling. Mm-hmm. That surprises even the Forsaken who lived in the age of legends. So there is some yeah. cool stuff there that's like yeah, maybe maybe they don't know everything. Yeah, there's still more to come. Well, uh, we've got just a few more minutes. And so I'm trying to think. I, I don't want to move on to another event in the book. I think we want to finish up with uh, the Choi Call and the cleansing and all that stuff. But let me just ask you guys for your thoughts on th- uh, the fact that Shadow Logoth is now gone. Right, literally, it gone. was. It it's, was. It's, it's a, a crater. The it's city a, is gone. Right, not the evil of Shadowlogoth because it's still <laughs> the city. Yes, the city. It is says gone. it's a crater. Yeah, yeah. So it's been the city's been destroyed, but the evil one still lives in Rand's side, and two, Pat and Fane's still skulking around somewhere. So the city of Shadar Logoth, the buildings are gone. Yeah, yeah, the whole city is destroyed. Right. But the creepy evil pit probably resides underneath. And did Rand ever say why he chose that location? Was it because he knew he was going to end up wiping it out? He said something. I um, can't remember what he said. But... Go, go back and read the description. Of... No, just tell me. No. J- dude, I can't because it's kind of a spoiler. But if you read it closely, you'll be able to decipher what's happening. Uh I, I'm trying to think back. I'm going to have to go back I and was, reread now. But. Yeah, go reread the the whole 
cleansing scene. But he, he does okay. and he try does not explain. to think about flowers and and Ryan's fists. <laughs> he does he does explain why he chooses Shadar Logoth though, and I can't remember okay. why he says. But he's, well, Cadswain says something about like, well, if we're gonna risk destroying the world, might as well do it there. That's and that but, that was kind of what I assumed yeah. was okay. All right, there's a purpose. Um, but yeah, it's it's gone now, and I, I thought it was a weird choice, maybe because I didn't catch what you were talking about. But I was like, oh, we haven't seen this place since uh, they they stopped by for a little battle a few books ago. But really, we haven't seen it in any significant way since book one. And now suddenly it's the location of the most important event in the books so far. And yeah. that, that it felt a little bit odd as a choice. But uh, maybe I just uh, need to go. They, Is it? Yeah, because they lost Laya there. That's what so I'm talking about. They, they, they stop in okay. for a quick shopping trip every mm-hmm. now and then. Okay. But. Um. Anyway, had, had I to go swear there's something. I swear there's some, like I feel like there was something that was left there, but maybe I'm wrong. Like mm. the giant crater, Laya. but Laya's body. <laughs> yeah. uh, Not even that. I thought he didn't he bail fire her. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Anyways. Well, anyway, uh, goodbye to Shadow Logoth, except for you, Paran Fane. Looking forward to it, buddy. Carrying the darkness of Shadar Logoth wherever he goes. That's right. Uh, all right, so let's call it for now because uh, we have a lot more to talk about and we're going to end up switching gears. And so this is a good place to uh, stop this conversation and move on. By and, the way. And we'll come back for the next episode for Wheel of Time. What, can Props to the Reddit users because those are so many really good questions. There are a ton. We haven't even scratched the surface I know, of and the every, questions. Every discussion I'm like, oh, we can talk about, oh, and then, and then there's that question... So many questions that spawned other questions that we could have talked yeah. about. Oh, man. So, so uh, good. Let's let's uh, when we reconvene for the next episode, we will dive right into the other Reddit questions and just get started on that right away. So, uh, thank you everybody for listening in, and we will see you next time. Don't forget to head to thelegendarium.reddit.com, where obviously we are having some great discussions with uh, the listeners, and we want you to be one of them if you are not yet part of that reddit community and also please support the show at uh, patreon.com slash legendarium now uh ryan is pointing something out he might just have to wait until the next episode okay he's nodding that's fine uh but yes please support the show patreon.com slash legendarium for our five dollar per episode donors we are putting together our um our what am i trying to say care package and that'll go out i've ordered a whole bunch of an item all that amazon had in its inventory and i'm going to be sending those out but they uh they actually they said we have x we have 15 of this item in our inventory and then it turns out that was a lie and so i have to wait until the end of july for those items to get to their tarangriol kleenexes that's correct uh that (laughs) That was actually, that brought a really dirty joke to mind, and I'm just going to leave it there Okay. in my mind. Um, <laughs> no, but it, it's a book. It's a certain book. Uh, but anyway, it won't get here until the end of July, and we'll send those out as soon as those get in, and uh, there will be lots of other little goodies in there. Um, so look forward to that. And if you are not, if you're not able to do a $5 per episode donation, that's fine, because uh, $3 per episode uh, will get you double entry into any and all giveaways. And so with this giveaway coming up, that's something to consider. If you want to not only be entered without having to do whatever, you know, jump through whatever hoops I come up with, 
Uh, if you want to not only not jump through those, but also get double entry, then you can also just uh, be a patron at patreon.com. So thanks to everybody who does that, and thanks to everybody who will. And we will see everybody for episode two of our Winter's Heart discussion in, what, a week, I guess? Maybe two? Let's say a week. All right. See you guys uh, for that one.